Hell yeah. The Gaming Guru Podcast. Diesel, the best gaming podcast in the world. <laughs> It is another week, and yes, a time for the Gaming Guru podcast. Man, that theme song every time just gets stuck in my head for pretty much seven days, just in time for the next recording of uh, the Gaming Guru podcast. I'm here, as always, with uh, the very lovely Tim Lester down in Cape Town. How are you doing, Tim? Thank you, sir. Doing very well. It's very hot today. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Up down in the south. I also love that intro theme tune. I was like, dude. Do you sing that yourself? <laughs> no, that is... Um, whenever I hear it, I always picture like your face. <laughs> going, oh, okay. No, it's, uh, it's uh, Borrowed in Kindness from uh, someone's acapella uh, YouTube channel that I found. Um, I suppose I should give some sort of credit at some stage. But uh, if he ripped it off from Mario Brothers, so we ripped it off for you. Much love. Um, what have you been up to in the last week? Um, I've, well, yeah, so, so, so since last week, I, you know, finished this stranding, I put that down and now I'm kind of like barreling my way through the, uh, the Bioshock collection. I okay. finished the first one last night. Um, I think that's the first time I finished that game. I remember oh, really? when I back, yeah, back when I played it, uh, before, um, I was, I didn't have a system that I was playing on at that time. I, I was playing it like with a friend at his house. So oh, I yeah. only jumped on like certain parts and then like, you know, I never really saw how the story went and how it's, how it ended out. So it's been really cool. Like and what a dick. He finished, it. he finished it without you. Yeah. What an asshole, dude. <laughs> I mean, so I'm, I find the first person controls like really janky on PS4. Like aiming is terrible, even with the aim assist. So I've just like put it on easy, and I'm just like flying through. Yeah, it's weird, sorry. like how the how the um, the damage scaling and stuff works on the difficulty settings. Because on easy, like enemies die in like one or two shots, and then on medium or normal, they're bullet sponges. That's, oh, yeah. And and you. And then on easy, I end up like always capping out my cash and I just have yeah. so much money and I don't need to spend it on anything because I take no damage. And on normal, I'm just like out of money because I'm just constantly buying health pots because yeah. like everything does so much damage to me and they're all bullet sponges. I so. think the big thing, if I remember from Bioshock, was it was one of those games where if you use the wrong ammo type or the wrong like, what do they call them, mods or uh, what are the upgrades called again then? Um, you know what I mean? The The... The yeah, DNA yeah, yeah. morphs or whatever. If you use the plasmids. wrong ones, then yeah, plasmids. Then it, it definitely was a case of going. You turn people into bullet sponges because the the like damage reduction on them was you know ridiculous. So you needed to kind of like tailor make each setup to to kind of suit ah. whoever you're going up against. But um, yeah. So you you're gonna get ready for uh, number two now, I presume. So I did play number two. I actually got it on PC years ago. Yeah. Um, back when I, I got a gaming rig and then I went out looking for some games and I'm like, Bioshock, oh, I know that. I had a lot of fun playing that in like 2005. But Bioshock 1's a bit outdated now and 2 just came out, let me buy that. So I played a lot of people, pan it, but like I still had a good time. I was like, oh, more Bioshock. Infinite I'm looking forward to because that's yeah. up there with one of my top 10 favorite yeah, games. Infinite's a great, great game. Uh, yeah, two, yeah, 2 I didn't really enjoy. I, I did enjoy the 
female big daddies or big sisters, whatever they're called. Um, those fights were good, but other than that, yeah. the game was kind of like, yeah, pretty average. Um, the what is it going to say with the the Bioshock One? It's one of the few games where a great game let down by a terrible final boss. Like that last boss is just so meh. Yeah, that, that like big blue dude with all the plasmids. Who, yeah, that's just yeah. That's but I mean, like a, like I say, I mean, I'm I'm just taking it as like sort of a an exploration cinematic experience, putting on easy and just like flying yeah. through. Yeah, but I think it's something that games tro- uh, you know struggle with is um, when they don't inherently need a boss. You know, in terms of like the way the game plays, it doesn't need a boss. But the idea that games need a boss, like a final climactic. Um, challenge to you know your ability someone that has all your skills and all the mechanics of the game and you match up against them you know kind of classic double dragon at the end where you have to fight your buddy for the the girl's hand you know that sort of idea that you know you someone someone that's supposed to be your power equal but like i guess we've learned more and more in games like it's it's not necessary sometimes you know for good storytelling and i think uh, Kojima tried to sort of um, highlight that um, he didn't necessarily like subvert it in that he more just highlighted it in the ending of Death Stranding um, when you I guess spoiler alert mm-hmm. you have a final showdown with Higgs um, they, they're quite verbal about it he says time for you know an, an epic boss fight you know he's st- <laughs> he, it, so it's, it's, it's like self-aware in that so it's almost like postmodern in a way, but yeah. then it is a boss fight with like, you know, um, sort of three different stages, phases, and yeah, and and three different phases, and definitely not the ending of the game. But you know, he also has a moment where you you basically this whole game you're trying to get to this one lady. So it's you know you could compare that to let's say Mario, and he makes a comparison. You know, where you find Princess Peach at the end of the of the run. Yeah. And I mean, I've I've compared Death Stranding to Mario, you know, on on occasion where if Mario is about running and jumping, you know, um, Death Stranding is about walking, walking and falling. <laughs> very very similar. Walking and, uh, and falling. Yeah, um, I, and sh- I think and for shouting. Me, one of the most subversive ones. I don't know if you ever played uh, Into the Matrix. No, but I I wish I had, man. I just, yeah, I, just I, I really want to, but I know. So I, <laughs> I know. I was like, oh my gosh. I really wanted to play it when it, when the Matrix was still like hype in like 99. You could probably get it on your phone or something. But um, I think what was great for me is at the very end, and, you know, spoiler alert, because it's not necessary, because it does follow the movies, uh, which if you haven't seen at this stage. Um, but at the end, they, they even do the, the it jumps to like that, that full white kind of matrix without the programming sort of um, yeah. zone and you've got the Wachowski brothers as kind of two pixelated um, kind of uh, space invaded characters sitting on the chairs like Morpheus did and they go and now in the story we would have the typical um, you know Mario uh, Mario uh, Neo does the Jesus thing and martyrs himself to like save humanity and you know it, it makes for really good storytelling but it makes for a very terrible video game. No one wants to, at the end of the game, instead of fighting a boss, kill themselves. So instead, <laughs> what we'll do is instead of, they even say at this point for the game, 
instead of um, Smith absorbing Neo, what's happened is all the Smiths will come together and join with a bunch of metal to make some giant like Mecha Smith, which Neo will fight. <laughs> and it's just like they even go like, cool, breaking away from reality for a second. This is terrible storytelling, but it makes a much better video game. Let's do it. And, and for me, I almost like respected it more to go like, yeah, cool. Like there would have been a dumb ending to a video game for to be absorbed by one of the Smiths. Like it's just <laughs> lame. So yeah. And uh, um, what you been up to? I, it's weird segue in terms of boss fights. I am playing probably the game most synonymous with boss fights at the moment. I'm playing Dark Souls Three again. Uh, don't ask me why. I I think I was I was watching a friend of mine stream. Um, Matthew uh, Figuera. Uh, I'm not sure what his stream name is. Um, but he was going through Dark Souls Three, and it just brought back so many good, great, and terrible memories. And so I was like, ah, oh, I want to play it again. And, you know, do all the endings I didn't do and the side quests I didn't do. So I've been jamming that uh, for the past week. Uh, good times. It's amazing how much um, you remember, like the surprises yeah. and the, the shock, you know, jump scares and that sort of stuff and how much you just fucking forget. And then when they come up, you're like, oh, geez, did your heart rate drop a bit? Um, but yeah, good fun. Certainly uh, Sekiro has made me much better at Souls games. And I will say, maybe a hot take, but Sekiro, a much superior game to Dark Souls in terms of like yeah. the fighting mechanics and that. And, and what I attribute to it honestly to is the fact that they, they limited the amount of builds you could do. And so what it meant is that every boss and every character you fight has pretty much been designed for where your character would be from a power spike point of view. You know, so it like feels like it's challenging but fair the whole way through. Whereas like Dark Souls, it certainly feels like you build a certain way and certain bosses are absolute cheese. And then you go to yeah. other areas and like because and you built a certain trippy. way, you you like this is impossible because you yeah. built yourself as like a melee tank, for example, and you go against this like range sorcerer and you're like, I can't even get close to you. This is ridiculous. Um, but then you go against some other guy and you take no damage because you've got like so much armor and, and poison that so um, regardless, a great game. I'm enjoying it. Uh, and um, we, we, before we jump into your news bites, which obviously we've renamed, um, Fish. Interested, <laughs> interested to your thoughts on our hero and villain of the week? Uh, hero and villain of the week. Uh, so, 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 villain of the week, uh, who, who, who I've got on my side. Um, and this story just came out like two days ago, was that um, EA have cancelled yet another Star Wars project. So EA have cancelled Star Wars projects that, that over the last couple of years, um, the most sort of notable would have been uh, Ragtag, which was being done by um, Visceral. Oh, yeah. Visceral Games, I believe. I think uh, Amy Hennig was... Yeah, Amy Hennig was, was on that at, at one point. Um, and then she left the project, and then the project got taken away, and Visceral kind of got shut down. Rip. Um, so, yeah, so they're the villain of the week this week. The game itself, it, it makes sense that it was cancelled because it was, you know, supposed to be connected to uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2. It was going to be like a new story DLC. And, like, that game famously has just, like, upended the, um, the industry for various reasons, um, least of all being the the loot box fiasco. Loot box I mean, sure, it's got, 
yeah, it's gotten a bit of redesigns now and then. And a lot of people are saying it's a, a pretty fun game now, but definitely not getting the amount of investments or time from EA as it maybe would have been had it been like a full package on day one. Yeah. 100%. Cool. Well, I, um, I think EA are joining Blizzard as some of our um, most awarded villains of the, <laughs> of the week. Yeah. Um, but my hero I'd like to submit is another one who, a studio that's been heroes for a long time as well. I, it honestly feels like they're just one of the hiring criteria is just like good guy. They, they all girl, but like just genuine, just good people. And that would be CD Projekt Red, uh, makers of The Witcher and the upcoming Cyberpunk. Yeah. They've gone and said that the um, obviously they are launching soon. I've got delayed to September, I believe. Um, yeah. But that's obviously going to coincide, we believe, with uh, sooner than later the launch of the next generation of consoles. So we're speculating it's going to be November, December on the next gen. And obviously their game will launch a couple of months before. So people might be worried, look, I don't want to buy the game on a PS4 because my PS5 will come later and then I want to buy it on that. They're saying you can upgrade um, to the next version. And I don't know if that's uh, digital only or if you buy the disc version, if there's like a software patch or whatever. But essentially you can upgrade to the next gen for free. There's no uh, you know, pay-in, whatever. Oh. Which Give I know that man a, big, a bells. Yeah, Round I know of there was applause, a big mate. deal in the last, um, the last generation jump. Is some games did allow you to upgrade for free; others made you pay. Um, and it kind of definitely drew a line in terms of like good guy studios versus money grabbing studios. So yeah, yeah, well like uh, contrast to Rockstar, who brought out um, Grand Theft Auto Five at the end of uh, yeah. Was it PS3 last cycle, yeah. yeah. It was a Generation 7 like cycle, yeah. Yeah, and they were like, build it and they will pay. <laughs> yeah. like, let's just buy it again and keep and buying it. And we did. And we keep buying it. I sold my copy like four years. I mean, that's like how many years old now? Um, like within like five minutes. <laughs> whenever I post <laughs> whenever I post on uh, those like uh, Facebook sale groups, yeah. like, yo, GTA 5 still available? Nope. Sold. Sorry, mate. Yeah, so so still rather a popular game, uh, and you can see it just meant how much uh, people are still playing uh, GTA Online. Um, kind of forgotten about Red Dead Redemption Two, though. It seems almost like they've gone back to GTA because it's uh, more fun Gareth. to drive a tank than a car than a than a horse. So, Gareth, I have a very important question to ask you, and that is, do you like fish dicks? Do you like fish dicks? Love them. You're a gay fish. <laughs> no, I'm not. Ah! First fish stick of the week. Uh, so um, Blizzard got a major leak um, early on the week in uh, in terms of some of their their IP that managed to get into the hands of the public. We're talking about StarCraft Ghosts. So I don't know if if people have been following, you know, Blizzard for the last, you know, a uh, couple of years, you'll know that StarCraft Ghosts was a game that they announced around like 2005, 6-ish area. It was supposed to be like um, a first slash third person story driven um, action game um, that focused on like the ghost, which is like mm. their um, their covert sort of operative. Yeah, uh, cloak and 
Yeah, I can click. Yeah, it was like it was a unit in StarCraft, and they wanted to make a whole game around it. The game got cancelled, famously, as do a lot of Blizzard properties. But a playable build managed to make its way online, and now people are playing it and uploading videos of it. Looking at the footage, it, it you know it's still it's still alpha. I mean, it's an alpha build that <laughs> never really got you know any more um, development. Alpha and old. Alpha and old, so it looks a bit shit. <laughs> like clearly, by twenty twenty seven, it's But there was a lot of game there, and um, people are enjoying it, having fun with it, and it's cool to like, as, as sort of like a nostalgia bite to like dive back into, I guess, the glory days of Blizzard before it was like a you know the corporate monster that it is yeah. now, sort of like blended and and, and melded, mutated with its uh, Activision uh, overlord. Um. But I can see that a lot of the work that may have gone into this property could have been used um, sort of in, in some of the later games, like, uh, for instance, um, Overwatch. Uh, the the yeah. playable character looks quite a lot like one of the Overwatch characters. That's the thing that struck me when I watched the footage. Uh, and we'll share a link to, to someone who's analyzing the, the footage in, in the description. And, um, you know, just watching it, it immediately was reminiscent of Widowmaker. It kind of like looked like mm-hmm. it was a skin almost. And even the, when she zooms in kind of sniper scope style, it's very similar in terms of like look and feel to, you know, if you're playing Widowmaker. So I'm sure a lot of the assets, if not some of the, the design thinking then made its way over to Overwatch. Yeah. So next up, uh, second fish stick, we have Tony Hawk's pro skater gets his own documentary. Ooh. It's going to, it's called um, Pretending I'm Superman. Uh, it's the film's title, and it's taken from Goldfinger Superman of the soundtrack. Um, Can we just give soundtrack. a shout-out to the Tony Hawk soundtracks? I mean, they were so good. Like, all of them were so good. Dude, yeah, that soundtrack introduced me to a lot of bands, um, yeah. least, of, least of which are Rage Against the Machine. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, so that's going to premiere at um, Mammoth... Uh, film festival in california next week and yeah there's a little trailer there we can probably pop that onto the yeah, blog post as well so i'm keen for that um look i don't think we'll be getting another tony hawk's pro skater game but at least we get tony hawk talking about like everything <laughs> that went into the game behind the good it old days, there yeah. wasn't really there wasn't really a market for um for those games at the time well at least there was a market that just weren't the games you know yeah. um, a lot of them were but at that point in the mid '90s, you had like skateboarding really hitting like the mainstream, where people yeah. who didn't skate were wearing skater shoes and pants, and you know, like wearing their Vans and like, yeah, it's just, just yeah. part so, of mainstream culture. Yeah. So uh, the last fish stick for the week, uh, we got Star Wars: The High Republic. Now this is a weird one. So I sent you a link to this, and it's like a four-minute video that looks like a behind-the-scenes docu on some like just concept art on like star wars stuff like i wasn't sure like two minutes into this i'm like is this a game is this a movie is this a book (laughs) and the answer is yes (laughs) it kind of feel like um we're almost hoping that the comment section of this youtube video will tell us what they think it is or what they're most excited for and that's what it will become because after watching that, I was like, uh, I think it's a series of comics. That's like my guess, just based on what they're showing, because there were no like animated stuff and there's very little visuals except for artwork. 
But um, regardless, it looks interesting. Um, not quite sure about the name. I mean, The High Republic sounds like a new album by Snoop Dogg or something, but like it really was, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what they were going with that. It's, but, it's um, like that. So, so they actually explain it. They talk about like they're trying to capture the kind of um, feeling of like the Knights of the Round Table yeah, yeah. for like Jedi that. Knights. Um, and like, but not the Old Republic, but like a bit newer than the Old Republic. So it's like, it's the Republic, but <laughs> it's old, not quite as old as the New Republic. So it's, I guess it's called the High Republic. <laughs> uh, it's just, yeah. it's just a bit bizarre. And like, it really reminded me of, um, um, it hit the same notes that that uh, promotional sort of like a docu video that came out of Bioware a couple of years ago before Andromeda dropped. It was in like 2016 or something. It's like, we've got some awesome shit going on behind the scenes. You're going to play as the Pathfinder and like go out into space and stuff. <laughs> like when they, like no one really knew what the game was about. <laughs> yeah. But they had to release something, I guess. So it was just like, uh, like, uh, like four to five minutes of sound bites of people working in studio, like uh, what's going on behind the scenes and just concept art. So this looks like very similar. So, yeah. But my theory is after like The Last Jedi and, um, uh, the, what's this new one called again? Um, fucking Rise of Skywalker. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. <laughs> so quickly. Goes to show. Um, one of the after those uh, movies are both bombed, you know, Kathleen Kennedy uh, had a revealing um, interview. She, she at the moment is the president of Lucasfilm, currently under Disney. So she ha has, you know, her hands on the wheel of where this franchise is going in the future with with Disney. You know, one of her excuses was, "Look, we've got no source material to draw from, um, and a lot of the ideas that we have are really just coming out of the writers' room by with people putting their ideas together." Thing is, though, when Disney bought over the property, uh, bought over Lucasfilm, the the comic book and book rights were actually with um, Dark Horse Comics at the time, and there were about thirty-five years worth of books and comics that people call now the extended universe. Or Star Wars Legends is another uh, is another uh, descriptive term for sort of that time period of content, and they threw it all in the can. They're like, none of this is canon, fuck it all. I think they just couldn't be fucked to like read it or like just have a look <laughs> for some ideas. Like now they're like trolling through the depths of Reddit and they're like, yeah, guys, there must have been something there. Yeah, like you oh, say, Reddit. So much. I've heard that before. I mean. Uh, just as an aside, I believe one the Jurassic Parks. I think Jurassic Park World or one of them was like. Um, I don't know if it's Reddit, but it was supposedly like a fan fiction that was like, hmm, this is not bad. And then they kind of just like developed on it because there was like a bit of an outcry of guys going, uh, hey, I actually wrote this movie like a couple of years ago. Here's the fan fiction. Like, Dude, there's, there's, I, there's a whole like conspiracy theory um, that the, the Last Jedi was also based off of a fan fiction that Ryan Johnson ripped off the oh, yeah. internet somewhere. It had all the same story beats. I don't want to like go into detail, but like there's there's a lot of evidence that yeah. that shows for that. So what I think that this High Republic thing is, I think it's Disney's way of going back to the drawing board and saying, okay, let's build a mythology. Let's create a think tank. Just put a bunch of writers and creatives in like a big old spooky house and like... <sighs> And give them all the resources they can to just brainstorm the fuck out of the shit. And then yeah. come out of the line of books that we can then draw from and use a source material for series or movies going forward. Yeah, yeah, like, create like enough. a backbone for this franchise. 
Never mind the fact that it has several backburns before. They just got like burnt to a crisp. So <laughs> Interesting. But uh, yeah, we'll sh share the link to that. You can give us your take uh, after uh, giving it a watch. It, it does look interesting. It does look like the kind of thing I would, you know, glance over at. Uh, not being Xbox. the hugest comic book guy, but like if they um, if they do venture into series or games and stuff, certainly uh, a space I could uh, I could see some interest. Unless EA cancels another one of them, but um, no. yeah, very very interesting. It's books. I judge books by their cover. So if the covers uh, are good, we'll read them. Of course, of course. But um, on to our discussion for today. Um, might be an interesting one, and just from there talking about how um, you know books are obviously perhaps a, an older medium. I'm really working hard at the segue here. I can we tell. Wanted to, <laughs> we wanted to talk about the whole hard copy versus digital um, kind of shift. Because it really feels like we are in the middle, if not the end, of the hardware or hard copy era. Like as if it, it honestly feels like we are waiting for one more generation of consoles to just end it. Because, man, like you, you I can't remember the last time I, I bought a hard copy of a game, if, if, I'm, if I'm honest. Like yourself? Um, my, so... so so with me, and I think I th similarly with um, a couple of guys on my um, on my PS4 group, I, you know, every now and then I'll throw a question out to them and see what I get back. It seems to be like quite mixed. Uh, it's, it's mixed for me. You know, I, I, I usually buy digital for like the sales, like there's a lot of really yeah. good sales going on. But then also having physical copies of like triple A's means that you have that retail value still. And if you can finish it quick enough, you can usually sell it and get a lot of that revenue back value back yeah and um, get a lot of that value back and uh with my brother-in-law and a couple other friends what we'll do is kind of like um all chip in buy a game we'll all three play it and swap it amongst us then sell it and then the resources from that can finance the next one so it just creates this like treadmill of games that we can keep playing and not really have to like invest you know too much into into a game but there's also something about having like uh, a physical copy of those games that you really love and there was a part of me that feels like you know i was like step like hoarding these games for like the next generation to be like you know when i was a weed whippersnapper you know i <laughs> these are my favorite games you know we played god of war and creed of assassins <laughs> like you know yeah. i can i can get like you know some young and onto my old shit. ps4 br like blur it down wipe it off wipe off the dust yeah. plug it in you know, but and, will and you? But no. will you? I mean, <laughs> Fucking doubtful, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I, it. did you play that? Like the you did those um, PS One minis or the NES minis and all that. Same thing. Yeah, it's like once it once it dates, you're like, yeah, over it. Like, yeah. yeah so, just, and I mean, this this sort of takes a discussion into like um, another place where we have, you know. Um, CEOs of uh, some of the major gaming um, developers in the world, like Yves Guillermo from um, um, Ubisoft, who predicts that this next generation of consoles that we're getting is going to be the last. Yeah. In that, in that we'll be, they'll be trying to um, kind of run that platform as long as possible, and anything beyond that will probably be cloud. Yeah. Yeah. If if even you have a console at all. So I, I think um, 
certainly this next generation will be the last of disk-based, uh, not even based, but that will allow you to run a disk. I think they've confirmed that the PS5 and the new Xbox will have uh, disk drives. But like it might be just like they did with the um, the Xbox, where you can get the latest Xbox, don't have disk drive. You save $50 or whatever by not having one. It's hardly a massive saving, but it's one of those like, we're making them without disk drives. You know, like it's it's not a big thing for us to switch that that mm. off. But it's um, I certainly believe the generation after that will definitely not have disk drives and might not even be a console, like a piece of electronic. It might be 100% in the cloud, as you say, where you, you're simply relying on fast internet to be able to access a server, to be able to play games. That's so. Yeah, so so Kojima actually announced this week that the next game that Kojima Productions wants to build is going to be a cloud-based game. So I don't really know what form that's going to take. I mean, it's one sentence. We don't know anything about their next project. But we do know that sort of as these developers look towards working with the new platform, with, the, with the, this next generation of consoles, they're also going to be looking beyond that and utilizing you know, cloud technology for their games with, you know, the consideration that there is not going to be a physical copy of this game. Mm. And if there is, it's going to be a very limited run and only for people who really want it, like the pre-orders. Because I still think yeah. there is a market for the collector's editions, for the, you know, the the gold limited run editions of of, of games. And, you know, developers have made sure that they are. There, there is a market for that by creating yeah. these tiered releases with bespoke content. Yeah, I think uh, for me, the the push to move to digital certainly makes sense for developers. So if we look at everyone's kind of you know benefit in this equation, uh, the benefit for developers is immediate um, in the sense that like you've you don't have to produce. So for, for one, you don't have to worry about those costs of production. So printing the actual discs in multiple languages, printing the the um, the dual cases, whatever, with all the different languages, the shipping, the distribution, the warehousing, when stuff gets stolen or lost, the insurance, you don't have to worry about any of those things. Uh, whether you sell one copy or a million copies, there's no massive increase in uh, production cost, which means the margins between copy one and copy a million are pretty much all yours. They will go back to you, except yeah. for obviously the digital storefront, which I mean, we'll go into later in terms of the the war that's starting between third-party uh, storefronts, so Epic and PSN and Origin and all that. The thing is that a lot of these developers have their own storefronts. So, I mean, yeah. like Steam, obviously, with the games that it makes, has its own storefront. PSN with PlayStation games, Xbox, uh, EA Origin, uh, all of those have their own storefronts. So, for them, it's not even a case of going, oh, and we've got to give a cut to the storefront owner. They literally become... The, the factory and the store all in one. So they don't have to pay anyone else, which means more margin, which means yeah. technically, I believe, they could sell copies cheaper than retail to crush retail even further. You know, like if a game uh, retails at 800 Rand, they could go, eh, we don't need that margin because 300 of it is going to whatever between the distribution and the um, all the travel costs. costs and all that shipping and blah, 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 your international distributor, your local distributor, your retailer, everything. Everyone's taking margin. We can sell this game at like 500 bucks and still be making more. We'll sell yeah. more because the consumer's going, oh, 500 bucks, I'll definitely buy a digital copy for you cheaper. The thing is at the moment, digital and physical have the same costs, generally speaking. 
Uh, sometimes exchange rate fucks up that that little bit, and sometimes the digital sales and that. But generally speaking, retail cost and digital cost are the same. And the only reason I can see is because they need to keep retail relevant. Um, yeah, it is still a large portion of the market. And if you are the first to move and go, okay, cool, we're going to go digital only, and we're going to sell ours at 500 rand instead of 800, retail will backlash and not stock your other products. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so then when you're dealing with games that are super mainstream and sell like physical copies by the boatload, like your Call of Duties and your FIFAs and all that sort of stuff, EA mm. can't go, yeah, we're going 100% digital because then they go, okay, well, fuck it. We're not stocking FIFA in our, our CNAs or our musicers or those sort of stores. And you're going, yeah. shit, that's our access to the main market, you know, not the digitally savvy first world market, the, the rest. I do think it's slowly fading, access to internet, cheaper data costs, all that stuff. But um, you're waiting for someone to move because the problem is in retail, the space is defined. There's X amount of shelves. There are X amount of space to sell games. When exactly. you don't sell yours, it goes to your competitor. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. not like, it's not like that market share just disappears. If you have 20% of the shelf space and you say, fuck you retail, we're going digital, they'll go fuck you too. They'll take that space and they'll give it to a competitor who has now just gained 20% market share for doing nothing. So yeah. it's, it, it's really just that space where we're waiting for, I guess, someone to have the balls to just go full digital. And where I think, honestly, the games that are going to do it or have done it already are those that are um, they're not even produced digitally because they are games as a service. So if you gotcha. look at um, Fortnite, like people play Fortnite, they spend all their money via the Epic Game Store. While they are there, they're seeing other Epic Games, uh, but they are there. They're driven to Epic Game Store because of Fortnite. You know, mm. there's no other way to get Fortnite. There are these other, you know, you can buy these packs. I've seen you can buy like Take a Lot or whatever. You can, um, but basically it's just skins. You know, when you realize that oh, I'm still going on Epic to download the game from there, I've just yep. been given a bunch of codes. You know, you soon realize that you know it's. It's got bugger all to do with, with retail, even though you bought a quote-unquote retail copy of Fortnite. It almost felt like they produced that just to have access into the retail market. You know, moms and dads who will go to a game store and go, hi, I'm looking to buy a fork knife. Yeah, fork, fork knife, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, and the guys are like, sure, I don't want to send you out of the store and tell you to go buy online. I'll go, yeah, you can buy it right here with uh, yep. this pack and this pack extra. Like, wow, that's good. So you get fork knife and all the extra uh, DLC. Brilliant. Yeah, so that's, uh, I think, what we're waiting for, is someone to have the guts to uh, stick it to retail. Yeah, and I mean, so, like, you brought up, you brought up an interesting point. Um, speak about the Epic Games Store, and that's kind of like, we can sort of go into the next uh, sort of stage of this conversation, which is talking about these uh, storefronts, games as a service, and how that's... Um, um, how that's steering the business models in many of these big developers. So um, my brother-in-law actually uh, told me recently, like last week, that he um, got an EA Origin subscription because apparently they're running a special where you get three months for free. Okay. And you just get access to like a bunch of their games. So he's playing like all the Need for Speeds now. He, he downloaded... Um, Anthem as well. He like jumped into that for a bit. He's got, he's like, I've got like five new games and I paid fuck all for it. <laughs> and I can yeah. just like play, play them for like the next like three months and then just cancel my sub. But yeah, if you want to carry on the sub, Netflix I think something gaming, ridiculous like, like 150 rand a month or something. It's like really not like a huge deal, but you just have access to this. And yeah. 
I think that's what um, that's definitely what Ubisoft have been trying to do. Um, successful or otherwise, they're still playing in that space. Um, I know they've had to do like um, a bit of a double take, and they've rolled back a lot of their. Um, they've delayed like a whole bunch of their games till like later yeah. on in the year. They've they've delayed like I, I think they, like put all of their games on hold. I think the next big one was going to be uh, Watch Dogs Legion. Like that's only okay. coming out like later in the year, um, just because of how um, uh, Breakpoint just like failed, and all their games are starting to feel homogenous. Yeah. Uh, so, so they're going back to the drawing board with their business model, looking at their games, uh, dividing up their studio better. That's on the production side. On the on the distribution side, they're still pushing really hard on um, on the Ubisoft storefront. But then you also have this battle coming in from um, other partners like um, like Google Stadia, for instance, which is also trying to like rear its head into the subscription-based um, digital sales of games. And really, like if we look at this trend, they're starting to cut out the middleman, cut yeah. out retail spaces, and that's where we have um, stores like you know BT Games, Musica, even electronic stores. Or stores that used to rely on this physical copy of um, the, this this physical product, having to diversify in their um, in their yeah. inventory and, and just change up their business in, model to keep up with you, these trends. Have you walked into music recently? It like it's no longer feels like it's about music or DVDs. That it's, it feels like it's all about like the lifestyle of those things. So it's yeah. now headsets and merchandise and T-shirts and the the music and stuff they do feels like it's super rare limited edition like they've moved into that collector space going if you just want to hear the music you'll download the tracks on itunes or spotify but if you if you want to own the stuff if we're still speaking to that physical copy ownership smelling the vinyl sort of space that's where they're moving to because they're like cool the collectors will still exist that's where we'll move to but like i don't know if you've also seen when's the last time you saw one of those huge music warehouse type stores anymore they've all become mm. like much much smaller because I don't think they can warrant the the cost of housing, you know, so many units. Like all like that inventory to. as well, yeah. Yeah, it used to you'd have like a th hundreds or or at least a thousand copies of like a best selling you know top forty album. Now it's like nope, you know, pe people can't get it from us sooner than they can get it online. Often there are digital downloads open before you can even get a physical copy. So then people are listening to it beforehand, and so. You know, like it's not even that thing of like, you know, we get the copy a day before, you know, can buy it anywhere else, you know, because a lot of stores used to rely on that, you know, having a, a launch day release, you know, sort of stuff on games or music or whatever. Can't even do that anymore. Digital will always, you know, outstrip that because you can download it the minute it's available overseas. There's no way so, it can travel, you know, all the way to your little shop in South Africa before it's available yeah. digitally. Yeah, so I mean... I I was wondering as well um, when you're chatting about um, about the retail space and how it can sort of um, you know how a lot of uh, distributors are basically giving up market share by like just not having their stuff on their shelves and how yeah. that space um, kind of dictates the way that like uh, you know ratings that certain games get or even yeah. um, or even the way that we consume them or play them now. I'm wondering how different would the development of, let's say, the next generation of consoles be if they weren't figuring out, like, fuck, we've got to put a Blu-ray player into this thing. 
you know, <laughs> like what, like what doors would it open? I mean, like, <laughs> well, I, I mean, don't know, the, like for one, the space limitation. Cause like, you know, if you're dealing with physical media, you have one of these situations where you're going, the game has to fit within, I mean, what's a, what's a, a Blu-ray able to do? It's like 40 gigs or something, something like that mm. um, per disc. You know, people yeah. don't want to have multiple disc games anymore. Like, and so, you know, if you go digital, there's like no real limitation. There's more of like a, um, I suppose, you know, keep keeping things fair, like almost a, you know, a fair play, you know, kind of guidance of like, don't let your game be, 400 gigs big or take forever for True. anyone to download it because also like the limitation then becomes the hard drive space but it's um it's one of those things where you know digitally you don't have to worry about that as much and i think we've been kind of weaned onto it by um the size of updates you know even yeah. when you buy a disc game you'll install it and it goes you know downloading day one patch update 20 gigs Just you're like but the whole game was only 12 it's, gigs. Like, what it's like the, the rest of the on? game that couldn't fit yeah. on the disc. <laughs> the, the, the classic example for me of that was, I think it was the, not the latest Metal Gear, but Metal Gear Solid 5, where if you bought a physical copy, what you were given was a code inside the, inside the box to go download it on Steam or on PSN or whatever. So even the physical copies were like, I think it was just the, the PC version. Um, oh, it's just a box. You would, yeah, so it's literally just a box inside. Obviously, the normal like bells and whistles. I don't think it even came like with an artwork book or anything. It was just literally because you like buying a thing. But I guess then speaking to the shelf space thing. Um, remember when when you shop digitally, every every um, product is only given one facing. If you know what I mean, yeah. like one space one on tile. a shelf. Exactly yes, one yeah. tile. So whether it's game of the year, millions of copies sold, or indie game, 10 copies sold, same spacing. Yeah, they get their features and things like, um, you know, front of page, what's hot, what's new, recommended, all that stuff is generally the stuff that's selling a lot and, and you know, you know, it's targeted towards you and your, your likes um, or, or preferences. Whereas you go to a shop, a retail store, let's be honest, I can't remember the last time you've gone to a, a video game store, like a BT game store, but you go in and the stuff that sells gets far more facings at eye level. And so yeah. you inherently see more of it and so are more likely to interact with it. You know, you go there at eye level and you call a duties out or a new, you know, triple A or FIFA or whatever. It's getting a full row of, of tiles, even though none of those discs on the shelf are real. They are all empty discs. Cause remember you still have yeah. to go behind the counter and ask for the, original because obviously from a um damage and um theft Security point of view point. that yeah, yeah. it's 100 so you've got all these facings but it doesn't matter so the only reason they're there really is to like advertise certain games more than others you know like you go to the very top shelf or the very bottom shelf there's like one facing of some obscure you know um indie hit type thing uh, and if it sells well maybe it'll increase you know more facings or up the up the shelf a little bit but, you know, that, that's where the retail space does benefit the big guys over the little guys is um, yeah. there's, there's, there's more space. You can put your point of sale up. You can put all sorts of banners and, um, you know, you go into a store and there's a launch of a big game. It's often in the, not even in the gaming section. You're seeing the posters outside. You're seeing the, the point of sale cutouts of Kratos or whatever sitting there at the, the scanners as you walk in, you know, because it's all like, mm. it's hot. It's all part of the 
the budget and where it's getting spent. Yeah, so I mean, like, I'm I'm also wondering, you know, from a from a design point of view, like you look at Apple, for example, who yeah. decided we will take away the the headphone jack out of our phones because that gives space to make the battery larger yeah. or to the, you can move this to the side and it just gives more options in the in the lab design workshop. Sure, there was like backlash, but I don't think it really like hurts um, Apple's sales of those units no. at all. No. You know, and it sold um, more headphones. Just, and it sold more headphones or earpods. <laughs> earpods, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm wondering, like, what Sony, if Sony's development team are at all being held back by the fact that they have to incorporate a Blu-ray player, which, let's be honest, takes up like a lot of space in this machine, you know, where they could be putting a bigger hard drive in, or hey, solid yeah, state drive, or you know, more more fans to you keep mean it cooler. From the actual hardware point of view, like the actual hardware drive. point of view, yeah. No, certainly. I, I think for one, if they're moving parts, then heat becomes an issue. You know, if you, if you, I've certainly noticed playing with the disc uh, in on certain games is louder um, than when you're playing a game on the hard drive. And um, I mean, I haven't done any formal tests, but like the, you know, sentiment is it feels like my PlayStation runs a little bit hotter when it's spinning a disc than maybe that's just me, you know, um, anecdotally kind of like, um, you know, feeling that way, maybe it's totally psychosomatic, but like it does, does feel like when, when things are moving around, if I take a mobile point of view um, from a battery life uh, standpoint, the minute phones like, and, and these kind of like personal devices stopped having moving parts, the battery life increased uh, tremendously. I think the thing that's killing at the moment is the processing power and the size of our screens. But yeah. if you think back to like the days of Walkman that actually had like, for one, a tape turning, then a, um a disc spinning spinning. the battery life was garbage compared to like an ipod or like an mp3 player because you know the music the moving parts are are a huge burden on battery life Mm. so that might be one thing i think what's interesting for me is going who loses really if we go full digital because the only thing i can think that loses out is retail losers and i think people who don't have internet access lose and I feel like people who rely on the second-hand market lose. Th- mm. Those are the only big losses. And I have to go, remember the decision, there's a bit of push and pull between retail and development. But if the decisions are being made by developers and storefronts and to a less extent through their feedback consumers, who is really losing? Because you go, if we go full digital, like the good guys will say that the prices should lower. Because a lot of the development cost is stripped out of that, out of the like, you know, the talk like the farm yeah, to plate yeah. model from the studio to your hard drive. That distance has shrunk, and the, the the amount of hands that hold it on the way has has diminished, and therefore cost should shrink. We know that a lot of developers will go, thanks for the margin, but no thanks. We're not going to drop costs. You know, some of the the guys who yeah. are on our villains list fairly often, yeah. um, but it but it is one of those things of like. If you offered me digital, meaning day one release, pre-download so I can have the game ready, um, better costs, um, and what I'm going to lose out on is I can never get a physical copy of the game unless I buy collector's editions. Sure, I kind of go win-win, like there's no real loss. Yeah. Unless I, like you said, are one of those people who are heavily reliant on the 
secondhand economy. Buying a game, be able to sell it, buy a secondhand game, you know, at much lower price. That's the only so real th- loss I can think. Yeah, so so I think this kind of like lends into lend, like lends into leans into a, a future of um, let's say an imagined future where like all gaming cop- all copies of games are digital. Yeah. Um, in that space, we'll probably see a lot more pushback um, on a, in a legislative space in terms of um, moving for uh, kind of like first party digital ownership. So at the moment, okay. all the games you buy from Steam like technically belong to Steam and you're renting it from them in a, in yeah. a way. You know, same goes for like PSN. If I cancel my subscription tomorrow, all those games are gone, you yeah. know. Um, they've given it to me for free. Um, same goes for EA Origins or what have you. But there, there, there is there, there is legislation being pushed through now, um, particularly in Europe, uh, that will that is putting a lot of pressure on uh, players like Steam to basically hand over ownership. So once you buy it, it is yours, and you can. Yeah. That would also be able to solve that secondhand market issue because people will be able to sell their digital copy of something. So technically what yeah, we want you can is... Gift, you like, can gift games, but the minute you've played them, then they're yours. So. Exactly. Exactly. So I think like that will then open up a space for sort of democratization of, um, of the, the digital medium itself, yeah. where we can actually own the stuff and therefore we can take advantage of yeah. the second and third hand markets where... You know, there were a lot of games that I played in the last two years that I wouldn't have played if it wasn't for the second-hand market. Yeah, 100%. So what you're saying is you'd buy the game, you'd play it, and then you'd sell it on at whatever price you dictate, or they might even dictate what the second-hand price is, you know, to, to keep um, the value of the game up. But essentially, you you sell it either back to um, the, the Steam or PSN or whatever, or on to another person. And then yeah. you no longer have access to the game and would have yes. to buy it then at secondhand or at full retail price again. Yes, yes. So, so, so that is where I think things are going. Um, because what they want to happen in Europe is that um, the consumer rights that uh, you have with physical goods should be able to translate yeah. over into digital products as well. With digital products just becoming more numerous and just you know in our in our homes and life at a at a much larger scale today yeah i I guess what's interesting then is your ability to access the stuff you know as you call it that you own years later if you know what i mean because obviously in the terms and conditions there needs to be like a fair usage in terms of time frame as well because um you know you play a game and it's available on a server somewhere and like you said, decades from now, you go to your grandkids and want to tell them about Creed of Assassins and you go and download your little version. It's just like, can't be found anywhere. You know, even if you yeah. pull out your PS4, uh, you know, from the dark ages of 2020 and you try and download it, it's like, it's not going to be able to access the server. It's not going to be able to find the game. Sony and Xbox have merged into some giant corporation that, you know, <laughs> not, has taken over the world. And so you can't even find playstation anymore and so then you go hey but wait i bought this thing if i'd bought a physical copy i could just play it right now but i bought a digital copy and so i I want my rights you know like i've got rights to this game um i I remember an example of someone who bought a game on sorry bought a movie on itunes 
Uh, and obviously in different regions, they're you know, protected by all sorts of stuff. And supposedly during the period between where he bought it and when he wanted to watch it, who owned the rights in that region changed. Whoa. And so when he tried to access the movie, it was like, sorry, but the movie you are trying to access, like essentially no one, it's, it's not available in your country. It's like the rights, the rights have lapsed and no one's bought them over or whatever. But essentially now he, if he had downloaded, obviously be on the hard drive, but now he can't access it because without buying it again, because, you know, in the last 10 years that's happened. And how often do you buy a movie or a a CD, some music, whatever, and years later you get nostalgic and you want to watch it. I mean, that's half the reason why people bought DVDs in the first place was to go, Hey, I can watch this on demand before an on demand service existed. Exactly. So yeah, my vote is for digital. I'm a big fan. Uh, one of the things that I don't think people talk about enough is while it's nice to have a shelf full of games, God, dude, you move houses and you've got all these discs and uh, where is this thing? And it's scratched and it's, yeah, having digital is just the truth and the light. Yeah. Being able to go into your library, find a game, download it, play it. Amazing. Not have for to me, find a disc. I hope it's scratched. Like, yeah, for me, I mean, I, I'm more I'm more curious into seeing like how a, uh, like a digital first landscape for gaming will translate into innovation in technology mm. um, in the games we play. Being able to store your game in the cloud rather than on like a Blu-ray disc just opens up a lot more doors. Um, you know, having a console that doesn't that isn't constrained by having this big block disc player like shoved in yeah. the middle like what that could look like. So, I mean, that, that just opens a lot of doors for innovation in the space. Yeah. Very, very good. So those are our thoughts on the digital versus uh, retail space. Um, obviously, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Thanks for those who, who messaged me about uh, the mobile thing. Uh, some interesting um, uh, thoughts there. Um, so if you've got any stuff you want to say about uh, the digital space, your preferences, where you think it's going, um, would you make a move to full digital? Uh, what it would require? We'd love to know. You can message us on at gaming, so at guru underscore podcast. Uh, that's on Twitter or at Tim and a fish, also on Twitter. And I am at the Gareth Woods, all on Twitter because reasons. And uh, yeah, until next time, you just uh, keep playing games. <laughs> Ooh, baby.